Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pro Series Podcast. This is episode 48, and this episode is all about interior design. I have guest Jennifer from Jennifer Janeway Designs from here in Pittsburgh. Um, we talk about her interesting tr- career transformation from corporate IT world to design. We talk about misconceptions, challenges, all kinds of stuff about interior design. But before we enter that episode, please make sure you go over to wherever you listen to this podcast, like, subscribe, and rate this podcast. It truly helps the success of this podcast. I greatly appreciate it. But now, I hope you enjoy episode 48 with Jennifer from Jennifer Janeway Designs. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on to the Pro Series podcast today. I'm excited to talk to you. We've you know, we've been uh, friends on social media for a while now and just kind of felt normal to just send you a Zoom link to talk on the Pro Series. Good. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love your podcast and don't miss an episode of it. So thank you. you. Well, I really wanted to start out and talk about, I've had a lot of people on the, the podcast that people kind of switch careers. And I know you have a very interesting um, career path change that you've had from that you told me off camera. So I want to start out on what you were doing before and why you changed into being a designer. Okay. Um, so I started my career in healthcare IT of all things. Um, yeah, (laughs) implemented (laughs) electronic health records across the entire city of Pittsburgh, um, worked for both of the, the big corporations here in town. Um, and I did that for 22 years and, you know, had built up a team, um, you know, was a director in IT and kind of, you know, was living the the corporate life dream. But in the back of my head, um, there was a little nagging voice that said, you know, you're, you're passionate about design. Like I've always been a design enthusiast. And so my husband and I decided to build a home about four and a half years ago. And I remember everybody telling me, oh my gosh, building a house. There's so many decisions that you have to make. You're going to be so overwhelmed. And during that process, I loved it. Like I would just choose the lighting and choose the finishes. And it was, it was fun for me. So after we moved in, I continued on with my corporate career. Um, and you know, that, that little voice kept, kept saying something in my head, like, Hey, maybe, maybe you could do this for a living. And so I decided in true IT nerd fashion to basically launch a prototype, um, kind of do like a proof of concept for an interior design firm. And so I started Jennifer Janeway Designs in May of 2020. Um, That for those of you that I'm sure remember was right at the height of the pandemic. So (laughs) I got, (laughs) I'm used to these crazy lead times and all of the um, logistical challenges in our industry, because that's where I started, but basically started the business as a side hustle. Um, because I was in IT, I was able to create my own webpage, open my social accounts, um, was able to get some clients. And for about seven months, um, doing it as a side hustle on nights and weekends, finally got enough clients that I was able to quit my day job, as they say, and be able to do this full time. Wow. I'm how, I mean, you being so accomplished in, in a career already, what advice do you have for someone to like, just jump ship and go to a completely different thing? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest um, hurdles in moving from a very corporate career where 
you know, we're in IT, we're talking about, you know, release schedules and go live support and working with physicians and CFOs of hospitals, like all of that that I've accumulated over my career plays directly into this very different creative career. So I want people to know that just because you're coming up through a corporate environment, there are so many transferable skills that will transfer over into something that you think is creative because the little secret is a lot of the work that I do on a day-to-day basis is actually very entrepreneur and business focused. I probably do design 20% of the time if I look at my overall um, Mm -hmm. hours on any given month. And the rest of it is financials, marketing, client acquisition, sales, um, operations. So a lot of those skills, project management, that's a huge one. A lot of those skills that I used in my corporate career, you know, running a division of the IT um, practice have directly transferred over into my business, even though they sound very different from corporate healthcare IT to being an entrepreneur in interior design. There's tons of things that do transfer very nicely. Yeah. So uh, this is a personal question because I know I get this a lot. I have, I mean, I went to school for interior design. So I'm an interior designer, but I also do social media stuff on the side. I didn't go to school for social media, but I think I'm pretty good at social media stuff. So when I am helping out people throughout, I've helped out real estate agents and stuff with their, their social media pages. I have gotten kicked back, but like, did you go to school for this? Like, what can you provide? Like, what is your background in it? What do you say to clients if, if they ever even said that, or how do you prepare yourself if they do say something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, part of being an interior designer is definitely having that aesthetic. Mm -hmm. You, you either have it or you don't, you know, the ability to put color and pattern and texture together in a way that all balances out and makes the room feel complete is at least to me, somewhat of an inherent skill. Having said that I have done hours and hours of self-study of listening to podcasts about both the aesthetics of design as well as the business of design. Um, So there are lots of successful interior designers that haven't gone to get Mm -hmm. that formal education. Um, you know, Nate Burkus is a prime example of that. I don't even think he owns a computer, you know, like there are people that can help you in the areas that you need help with, but you know, there is an inherent skill that you kind of nurture and, you know, facilitate through additional education, um, and a lot of self-study. Yeah. It's almost like I, I, you hear this all the time. People are like, just get the degree and then figure out what you want to do with your life. Right. And for the most part, I, no one really stays in the same career. They no. always switch to something. No, absolutely. And, you know, I went into IT because I knew that I would be able to make a living and support myself. And, you know, that carried me through very nicely for mm-hmm. 22 years. But that, you know, just that fundamental education and component where you're getting some of the basic skills, you know, particularly like a business degree, highly transferable to a variety of industries. Yeah. Pretty much everything. Exactly. So off camera, we were talking a little bit about um, the topic investments and budgeting. Um, And that's something that is such a sticky situation with designers and customers. Um, Do you trust the designer with your budget? Um, I think people still kind of think of it as a used car salesman type of 
mentality that if you tell them the budget, they're going to run with it and use every single penny. But in reality, not giving the budget is just going to make the wheels keep turning. You're just never going to get to the end of it. Your design process is going to last forever. Um, So I wanted to get your take on that topic. Um, what you what you've done with your own branding and your own business with um, budgeting and how to teach homeowners about the different rooms in your house and how to budget. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, whenever we think of interior designers, we we tend to gravitate toward that aesthetic component. But in conjunction with those aesthetics is equally important, the budgeting component and the investment amount. And so as part of our very, very first conversation that we have with clients, one of our questions is, what is your investment amount? And oftentimes people don't know, um, and we've actually developed a tool that we'll talk about in a bit that helps them kind of get to and find that number. Um, But I really think it's important to talk about budget early and often, because what that's doing is setting the expectation for both them and for me to be able to design to the highest level that their investment amount is going to allow for. So let's take an example of a sofa. You can purchase a sofa on Wayfair for $1,500. You can purchase a sofa for $3,500 at Pottery Barn. And you can purchase a sofa for $8,000 plus at Restoration Hardware, just as some good, better, best examples. So I often ask clients, the last time you purchased a sofa, how much did you spend? Just so I can start to get a sense of where they are on that good, better, best mm-hmm. scale. Doesn't mean that we need to stick in one lane. You know, if somebody says, all right, I, I, I kind of want to be in that better category, that we have to stick through that throughout the whole project or for every single piece. But we want to get to that targeted amount. Mm-hmm. So we always start the conversation very early with any potential client. Um, We talk about it at the consultation even further. And during that consultation, we've actually developed an investment guide for clients. And so when we're sitting down in their home, and again, we're revisiting that, you know, overall investment amount and what do you want to spend? We'd walk through the investment guide. And what that is, is a document that will show them for a couple of the key areas in their home, living room, um, dining room owner's bedroom, their good, better, best price points for all of the various kind of typical items that would go into that given room. What I find is people are not used to purchasing an entire room full of furnishings, window treatments, decorative elements, artwork, area rugs, all at one time. Typically, when you buy a house, you are maybe getting a new sofa and a new dining room table, but you're kind of, you know, doing things piecemeal. Um, What I try to educate my clients on is, you know, we like to look at the room holistically. And so that doesn't mean that we're throwing everything out. You know, we may be able to use certain pieces that they want to incorporate into the design, but at a high level, we're giving them the education to say, here's what it's going to cost for this particular space On average, that's going to ebb and flow a little bit throughout the design process, Mm -hmm. but we we really try to get to that clarity up front and be able to give them some type of guidance. Oh, yeah. As you were talking about good, better, best, I kind of, 
I think designers, I, I have a kitchen and bath background. So people don't know that in different cabinet lines, different countertop lines, there's different series, almost like you're buying a car. There's different series and that all comes down to budgeting. Um, and I feel like a lot of people forget about that. So there's that whole side that if you educate the customer on that, they're probably more likely to give you their budget, but they won't know that unless you actually talk to them. So I guess communicating is the big part of that. Um, but I like how you gave the good, better, best for the furniture, because that gives it a little bit more of a general and easier concept to grasp for a regular homeowner. Because before you home renovate, you're looking at these shows and you're trying to like, well, well they just did that kitchen for $15,000. I could get it for $15,000. Um, and necessarily, I mean, that's a whole other topic we could talk about that, yeah. that it's not necessarily that pricing um, states differently. Um, companies give discounts for shows. So being able to communicate with your customer and give them those good, better, best is a huge, huge, huge um, asset for the whole design process. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's very helpful for the client, of course, to your point, but it's also helpful for the designer because what yeah. that does is once I figure out, all right, roughly for this living room, we want to be at about $40,000 that's going to then allow me to select my furnishing and decor vendors based mm -hmm. on what I know those price points to be. So yeah. in the back of my mind, I have a list of vendors in each of those good, better, best categories. So it helps me as the business owner to be more efficient as part of the sourcing process and making all of those selections. So at the end of the day, my goal is to get the highest level of quality for that particular client based on their investment amount using the resources that I have at my disposal. And, you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, everyone knows Restoration Hardware, Pottery Barn and Wayfair, right? Yeah. They don't know all of these vendors and catalogs that I have sitting behind me, um, fabric vendors, area rug vendors, you know, finishes, fixtures. There's, there's a whole other world beyond those retail vendors out there. And that's why having a designer by your side allows you access to those trade vendors, meaning they only sell to interior design businesses. They don't sell to the general public. Yeah. And then also knowing the budget, you could also spend less giving those relationships right. that you do have with the vendors. So making sure you keep an open mind with that. When you're talking about that, also with the budget, I thought of a job I did a couple of years ago. It was a master bathroom and the customer wanted, the top of the list was Swarovski crystal handles for their okay. vanity. Right. And I knew that was the priority. So I knew I wrote that on the budget and everything else after that, I had to crunch numbers and figure out yeah. how that fit. So, yeah. and it's usually the first thing that the customer usually tells you what they want. So making sure you put that on the list and making sure that 100% fits in the budget. Right. It's, it's all about the trade-off, right? So, you know, to your point, figuring out those priority pieces. Um, what I always tell my clients is to invest in the pieces that you are going to sit on and touch every single day. So mm -hmm. things like the sofa in your family room, the armchair that you watch TV from, the coffee table that you put your feet up on. Those are the pieces where you really want to invest your dollars. Things like 
you know, accessories or maybe occasional chairs that you only use whenever a company comes over. Those are the ones that there's a little bit more give and take on um, from a budget perspective, but really making sure that you invest in high quality pieces that you're using every single day is one of the things that we always encourage our clients to do. What advice do you have for someone that has never done a renovation project or a remodel project, um, say it's the kitchen or the living room or family room, and they have no idea what to budget, like where they even start to budget? What do you usually tell them and how do you help them with that? Yeah, um, so it's funny. I actually just wrote a blog post about two months ago on when to bring an interior designer in. A lot of times we have relationships with contractors that other folks don't necessarily have. You know, I've heard from countless clients that, you know, we, we called five contractors and nobody called us back, you know, because it's, it's a little crazy out there. Mm. Um, but really starting with the three major components of a remodel budget, part of that is going to be the labor cost for the contractor. Part of that will be the materials. So things like the cabinetry, the countertops, the light fixtures. Um, and then part of that would be the interior design services. So I help my clients to really figure all of those pieces and parts out. And again, more ballparking um, to get to some numbers, but at least having a professional involved at the beginning mm -hmm. is going to really help you in the long run to figure out you know, exactly what that investment amount is going to be. And again, be able to purchase those quality materials and the best labor that you can at your particular investment amount. Yeah. What advice would you have for a designer that is just starting out, figuring out their, um, like the first initial visit to their customer's house? And when is the correct time to ask for the budget? Because, you know, I mean, you don't want to ask right away. Um, do you have to get to know them a little bit? Or when do you actually ask that? So I do ask that as part of, it's actually on my intake form. So I do ask that as part of our initial conversation um, because it's such an integral piece to the whole process. Mm -hmm. But typically, you know, what will happen is we'll have our client discovery call where we hear a little bit more about their project. Um, they learn a little bit more about our firm and how we might work together. But our initial service to them is typically an in-home design consultation. And that's really where you're getting to see the client in their own space. You're getting to see a little bit about their aesthetic, even if they want to change everything. You're getting to meet their children sometimes, meet their dogs or their cats. Um, but you're able to, to formulate that personal connection. So the idea is that you're building rapport at every step of the way and every step of your process. And then by the time you're sitting down at their kitchen table, once you walked through their home and talked about potential changes and improvements, you're able to have that frank discussion, pull out the investment guide and start to have, you know, conversations around, okay, you know, what is the scope of this project? Here are some ballpark numbers and having those conversations upfront and early. Yeah, that, that's great advice. I mean, you never, you want to do it as soon as possible because the more time you waste, you know, that could have been another customer or another, right. or another design that you could have got done. So it's yeah. much as you're valuing their time, you have to value your own time as well and be selfish mm -hmm. in, on that regard as well. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, back to your example, if somebody thinks that they can, you know, renovate their kitchen for $15,000, 
it's just not possible. So part of that is, you know, you education or educate them, you give as much information as you can to them at the onset, and then they need to make the decision. Mm-hmm. Are they willing to move forward with that project or not? Yeah. And then also, I mean, we have customers that come in that have been burnt many times by contractors or different companies and stuff. So going in, what would you say to a designer to make sure they're in the correct mindset to being open-minded to accept or kind of question why someone is closed off um, and sometimes understand that. So you could kind of maybe inform them that this situation, this, that's not going to happen this time. What yeah. would you say to a designer for that to kind of get around that um, type of obstacle? Yeah. I mean, I think number one, um, starting with empathy, So if someone's been burned, that means they have put out, you know, their hard earned money into a product that they are not happy with. So I think, you know, just understanding what happened during their experience, why they weren't satisfied, um, you know, and digging into that a little bit more. And then I think, you know, again, going back to the process, just being as upfront and communicative as you can during all different stages. So You know, for example, one of the things that I make sure that I do is after that initial consultation, um, typically the client says, yes, we would like to move forward with additional services. We want you to design X, Y, and Z. So I'll develop a proposal for them. And again, it will have room by room what those design fees as well as the project management fees are for that particular project. Um, And then presenting that back to them either on a Zoom or in person to again, continue to establish that trust and rapport, don't just email it. Don't just send it off and, you know, hope that everything's good and, you know, hope that they understand everything. I always tell people there's a lot of data in the proposal, (laughs) believe it or not. You know, it's, it's a lot of explanation and a lot of making sure that they understand exactly what this process is going to involve. So, you know, again, having that personal connection with your clients is really important because you're gonna be in their homes. You know, you're going to be seeing them when they're getting their kids off to school or the kids are coming home and, you know, just being able to establish that connection. Um, we're all human, right? So yeah. just, you know, I think sometimes people think that interior designers are aloof or, you know, kind of have that certain stereotype, but yeah. we're just people too. So, you know, being able to form that personal connection is really important. Yeah, I think one thing that benefited me um, right out of school, I was trained and I'm probably you probably did the same thing because you were in the corporate world on a behavioral study, kind of yes. figuring out how people change. I was trained on DISC, um, mm-hmm. yep. which were you? Myers, Myers-Briggs. OK, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, yep. it, that helps out so much because you could figure yes. out how someone works within seconds of meeting them. Yes, um, and yeah. being such a, a field and industry that you're talking with people every day and it all comes down to the sale, I think that's a great investment into not just you as a designer, but you're as, as a company as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, people don't necessarily think, oh, I'm an interior designer. That means I'm going to be in sales. But the reality is, as an entrepreneur, you're selling, you're selling your services So, you know, as you're going out and you're talking to clients and getting them interested in conducting this project with you, that's, that's 
part of it, right? Mm -hmm. But then like, you know, whenever you're presenting a kitchen design back to them and you've selected this beautiful quartz and these cabinets that just go perfectly with that countertop and these gorgeous light fixtures, like that's also part of the sale, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know that you've put together this curated vision and it's, you know, incumbent upon them to be able to look at that vision and say, is this what I want for my home? And if so, again, here is the investment amount for that. Um, you'll also hear me say investment amount over and over again, rather than budget, because yeah. you know we, tr we try to reframe that. Because um, a lot of times, it definitely is, yeah. it definitely is. And if you think about how much you spend on say a new car, mm -hmm. you know, that's something that you sit in maybe 30 minutes a day, both ways, back and forth, if you're still commuting to the office. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. a lot of us are just staying at home right now. But think about that dollar amount for that vehicle and then transfer that to your living room where you are sitting for potentially hours every day or to your kitchen or your primary bathroom and bedroom. Um, you know, it's, it's another way to reframe that conversation for people to say, okay, you know, think about how much you spend on XYZ and take a look at your home. Like we're in our homes more than ever. I know it's been said 5,000 times before, but with the pandemic, but even after, you know, more people are working from home more often. Um, kids are at home during the summertime. These are spaces where we are living out of them every single day and using them every single day. So it's very important to invest in that. Exactly. And while we're on the topic of investing in yourself, uh, something that I learned early on is to make sure you reach out to the reps of these different vendor companies and make sure you get the level groups of what like countertops, like you said, knowing what level group, what countertop is in. So you don't steer your customer in the wrong direction, waste even more time yeah. um, in the sale. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, forming those relationships with your reps are key. Um, and I will say, I think the design industry has done a better job of empowering designers, particularly through, to your point, the in-stock items. So lots of vendors now will actually show the stock status. Mm -hmm. um, they'll show near stock status. So again, as a designer, if I have a client who comes to me and says, you know what, um, I really, I really would like my dining room to be done by Thanksgiving, depending on we are where we are in the year. Mm -hmm. um, being able to set expectations from that time frame perspective is key, of course. But then once you get past that, making selections based on near-term delivery versus other items or other clients who don't care, they're fine with waiting. They want something really unique and really bespoke then you're going to be empowered to know that too, based on some of the tools that the industry has given to us. Exactly. Well, that's, I love all this information. I mean, budgeting is always a sticky situation, like I said in the beginning. So I'm yep. glad we were able to go over it today. And hopefully some people learn some new tips and tricks on how to bring about this um, very uncomfortable topic to their customers. And um, I want to thank you, Jennifer, for coming on today. I want to end with making sure you say your um, social media handles and where people could find you. Yeah, absolutely. So on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest, you can find us at Jennifer Janeway. That's J-A-N-E-W-A-Y designs. Um, also, our website is www.jenniferjanewaydesigns.com.
Awesome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for jumping on today. I'm excited to get this one out. All right. Thank you so much, Eric. It was a pleasure.